Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Expert. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and today with me I have Tom Reed, former NHL player, current Minnesota Wild radio analyst, and owner of Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub. Welcome today, Tom. How are you doing? I am doing well. That's good. That's good. Hey, I, I've got a few questions for you. I hope you don't mind. Um, where did you grow up, and what was your first experience with an icer surfacer? You know, I grew up in Fort Erie, Ontario, which is a border town right across from Buffalo, New York. And we used to engage quite a bit of the Americans coming over to the Canadian side. And we'd go to the American side and play games and so on. But I'll tell you, Doug, when I started, I started as a rink rat at 11 years of age in Fort Erie. And, but we didn't have machinery. We had, uh, we had scrapers and we had uh, barrels with a, uh, a cloth put on the back end of it to, uh, to flood the ice. And we could, do, we could actually scrape the ice uh, during hockey games. Uh, senior hockey games, and uh, we could actually do it in about seven minutes. There's about four or five of us, and we get out there, and we have two barrels going and a number of guys on these scrapers, and we could do that. Uh, and then eventually, it was back in the uh, probably the early 60s, the mid-60s, that we got what they called, it was a Schomburg machine. And it fit on the back. It wasn't a Zamboni, unfortunately. We didn't have the money for something like that in our town, but uh, if it would fit on the back of our tractor, which had a front end loader. So when we went around the boards, we had to make sure the front end loader was lifted up high enough so we wouldn't hit the fencing because we didn't have glass either. We had frost fencing. And so uh, we were we were pretty excited about doing that. The biggest day of the year, I think, in, in, in was when we took the ice out because we would, we would scrape the ice and we'd open a, a door that was along the boards and throw the the snow that we've accumulated into this pit and the reason it was a big day is because when we melted all that snow and took the water up they usually there was money in the bottom of the pit that paid from people throwing coins <laughs> onto the ice it was, it was pretty we'd get a few dollars and we'd spend it uh, together we'd divide it all up but it was it was kind of funny funny but we didn't have the zamboni machines in those days i can remember watching the crown Maple police on, on tv for as a kid growing up and they didn't have a Zamboni. They had the, the guys who were actually had the barrels and they had the scrapers, and that's how, how that's how we did it. That's probably the last time the Maple Leafs have won a Stanley Cup. Well, it was '67. Cool. I think they had them. I think they. Had... <laughs> it, it goes back a few years with them, and that's just a jab to our Canadian plant. Uh, we've got several Maple Leaf fans up there. Uh, Tom, have well, you ever dri driven a Zamboni machine? No, I have not. I've been on them, but I have never driven one. In fact, I've been in some parades where they have them uh, uh, here in St. Paul, but I've never driven one. So it's, it's it's kind of fun. Of course, all the cities now, they have a guest, uh, usually a young kid in many cases that sits on the Zamboni and goes around. That's going to be, has to be quite a, a thrill for them. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Maybe what we'll have to do is uh, uh, get you on a machine someday and see how you perform on that side well, of the ice. Good luck on that one. <laughs> Tom, um, I've known you for many years. I've been blessed uh, with that. It goes back to the days of my dad working for the North Stars. Uh, you weren't one of the originals. I've done a little bit of uh, digging to, to learn a little bit about how you ended up with the North Stars. You would think I would have known that, but uh, I didn't. I didn't realize that you're part of a trade with Andre Boudria going to the Blackhawks. Um, what was the highlight of your NHL career as you saw it? And then I'll share with you uh, what I remember as a kid growing up watching you play at the Met. 
you know, just getting to the National Hockey League was a, was a thrill. And I remember breaking with Chicago back in 67, and all of a sudden I'm playing with Makita and Hull and Nestorenko and Pierre Pallad, and the, the list goes on and on. And a lot of these names people would not remember, but these were all-star players or Hall of Fame players, and to be a part of that. And then, uh, you know, I, I signed on as a junior with the Chicago organization in St. Catharines, which is about 35 miles from my hometown. And uh, we built it up with a couple other players in a home there, and and we would be their junior farm team. And for a hundred dollars, they had my NHL rights. They gave me a check that was called a C form. And to be able to sign that, and I was not a very good player growing up. I mean, I remember as a kid growing uh, uh, when I got to be twelve and thirteen, and all my buddies made the All Star team, and I never made it. I was I was pretty gangly at that point, so I was very uncoordinated. And to be a to, to just to be on the ice was fine with me. I didn't care about playing the all-star game or playing on the, you know, these, these teams that travel just to just get on the ice and play. And that's why I became a rink rat when I was, I was young. But I think when you, I go to the NHL, I think the, the high, one of the highlights of my career was uh, when we were playing against Montreal in the second round, uh, the semifinals. Uh, and we were the first NHL expansion team of 67 to win any of the games against an uh, old established club. Now, St. Louis had gone, and they when they did the, uh, the uh, expansion draft in 67, they took a lot of veteran players, and most of the other teams in expansion did not do that, and that's why St. Louis was so good in those early days. I mean, they just had a lot of experience on, on the blue line and in the net. They had, they had uh, you know, Jacques Plant was in the net. They had Glenn Hall. So they had some pretty, pretty high-powered guys, and they did a great job. But... We wound up playing against Montreal. We got beat out in six games uh, in that in that series, and we actually scored a goal. Ted Hampson scored a goal, but Bill Friday waved it off, saying that the puck was not over the line before the final buzzer went. And so we wound up losing that that series in six games. And I think as as a team, that was probably uh, the, the most fun I think we've ever had, and that was back in 1971. Yeah, I, I remember that. I had a book that I think my dad provided to me about Bill Goldsworthy, and there was pictures of the face-off and uh, then the dejection in the fans' faces when um, the goal was waved off because uh, it was a split second too late. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, they didn't have replays or things like that. And I can tell you, because I was in a position, I was on the ice at the time I had started to play from behind our own net to Parisi and over to Hampson, a Hampson shot and scored. But I was in a position where I could see the puck over the line before the light changed. And uh, But unfortunately, the referee, Bill Friday, was not in that position. He didn't have the you know the, the tools they have nowadays to decide whether it's a good goal or a bad goal. So he, he waved it off. And would we have won the game? I don't know. But it made it, it, would, it certainly made it interesting. And uh, Glenn Somore, the old coach uh, of the, the, uh, in the National Hockey League, especially with Minnesota, always said you want to lose in the final game and you want to lose in an overtime or a questionable call because that will bring the fans back the following year. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny you talk about Montreal because as a kid, um, my favorite moment, I think, with you, and it's uh, on your Wikipedia sheet, is – uh, scoring on a penalty shot against probably the greatest goaltender of that era, Kenny Dryden. And uh, maybe you can fill us in because there's a lot of uh, discussion about that, that uh, you would went to the bench saying you didn't want to take the shot. Uh, and you were quite the goal scorer, if I recall correctly. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to take that shot. Yeah, you got, the, you got that right, Doug. The, the thing is also, I was actually in the penalty box. 
and uh, they gave me a penalty, which I probably didn't deserve anyway. But uh, they sent me to the sin bin, and and uh, it was one of those situations where I came out of out of the penalty box. And the guys went to clear the puck down the ice, and they shot it right towards where I was skating into, and it hit my skate. So I just followed the you know the path of the puck, which was going to the opposite end. As I got over the blue line, I was getting set, and Guy Lapointe, who was still a scout for the uh, for the Wild here, and a good friend of mine over the years that we've become acquainted, uh, tripped me, and I slid into the boards, and uh, to the left of Ken Dryden, and I'm sitting on the ice with my back against the boards. And Bruce Hood, Bruce Hood, the referee, came over, and uh, he he said, uh, "You okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm okay, but they got a penalty, right?" He says, "No, you have a penalty shot." And I I said, "Words to the effect, the hell with that, Bruce. I don't want a penalty shot. Just we'll take the yard, take the two minutes, we'll take whatever. But don't give. I am not a goal scorer. My game was defense, not offense." And so I got up and went back to the bench. And Jack Gordon was our coach. And in those days, all the coaches wore you know the hats, the fedoras. And so he's looking at me. He said, "What's going on?" I said, "I have no idea." I said, "I think they, I think they got a we have a power play." So Bruce came over. and said, "Come on, Jack, let's go." And he said, "Well, what?" And he said, "Tom's got a penalty shot." And Jack, Jack looked at him and looked at me and looked back at Bruce. And I can still see the look on his face. And he says, "Does he have to take it?" <laughs> Bruce, I think I broke my leg. He says, "Get your ass out here." He said, "Are you you're going to delay a game penalty?" So now I get ready, and I'm thinking, oh, Kendrite, and the, it's, it's October. And as good as the ice was at the Met Center, it was one of those days where it was warm. So the ice was a little bit sticky. The pucks weren't as, as frozen as they are in today's game. The ice was not as good as in today's game in many cases. But, you know, I thought, I'm just thinking, if I can just get over the blue line, I'll be happy without, without losing the puck. And JP and Goldie, they're, Goldie says, go here, go there. And JP says, just put the puck behind him. And so, here thing: the building was full. It was one nothing Montreal. It was in the third period, and so I thought, well, here I go. So I went in, and I got about the top of the hash marks. And Ken was moving a little bit, and I thought, I'm just going to shoot and see see what happens here. And so I took a shot, and his, he went to the left. It went between his legs into the net. And of course, the, the crowd and I did, could not hear a sound in the in the whole building. And so I scored the goal and. I go back to the bench and all the guys are congratulating me. And I look at Jack Gordon. I looked at Jack and I said, Jack, was there ever any doubt in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> he, he just laughed. We wound up because there was no, there was no uh, overtime in those games. It wound up to be a one, one game uh, in, in Minnesota. Oh, that that's awesome. Um, how, how has uh, hockey changed um, from when you played to where it is today? And do you think that the players, enjoy the game as much as you guys did in your era? You know, I don't think they enjoy it as much. Uh, I mean, they're, they're paid handsomely for what they do, and they earn it. Let me tell you, I watch these guys because I travel with the team doing the radio broadcast, and, and these guys work really hard. I mean, it's not just a go to the rink, you do a practice, and you're gone. I mean, they're in the weight room. They're doing all kinds of things. I mean, their training techniques, or they've got these computer-generated uh, uh, you know, wires all over them, and figuring out who's working hard and who's not working hard. And they can tell all these things. The game has really changed. I mean, it's become a, you know, the expansion, Doug, if you remember the expansion back in 67 was $2 million to get in the National Hockey League. And that's when the six teams came into the league. And, of course, you're talking 
Minnesota and St. Louis and Pittsburgh and uh, Philadelphia and Oakland and L.A. Those six teams each paid two million dollars. Now with Seattle coming in in just a, a couple more years, you're going to see them paying six hundred and fifty million dollars just for the rights to have a team. So you can see how it's changed there. But the training techniques and what they have. I mean, I go in, the, in these weight rooms and, and the equipment they have. I mean, they're huge. And of course, uh, Doug, you would remember the Met Center too. I, I mean, our our training room consisted of a, a pool table. We had a color TV. We had uh, uh, a pot machine. We had four tables, 16 chairs, and about 22 ashtrays. And one of those <laughs> machines put the belt around your waist and it jiggles you. <laughs> That's what we had. We didn't have I, that today. <laughs> I, I remember those days finally, and I remember as a kid, and I was uh, probably less than 10, um, being around hockey stars, uh, you know, my favorite team, the North Stars, and I, re I can distinctly remember you in a long fur coat of the day, and some, um, some I, what did they call the platform shoes, and the bell-bottom pa bell pants, and that's kind of yeah. etched in my mind. So uh, di different times, and I can recall talking, had a lunch with Luke Robitaille a while back, and uh, he talked about when Sidney Crosby signed his contract and what it was like when Luke was young and what it was like when you were playing, uh, how much different it would be uh, in that uh, Sidney uh, had a glass of wine to celebrate, whereas back in the day, you guys might have had a beer or two in between periods of a hockey game. I've heard of rumors no. of that being possible. I never saw that. And, and all the years I played seven games, never saw beer in the dressing room that we had, ever. Never? Not even no. po post-game? Not even post-game. Not when I played. Wow. They had wow. teams later on, but we never, in, in my era, anyway, we never had, we, but we had lots of beer after the game, but we went to different establishments in different cities. We would do that, but I, I've never saw, I never saw any beer in the locker room uh, during our day, and you wouldn't see that today either. I, it, no, you know, not for the play. Yeah, no, I, I can't even imagine. You know, in just the size of the locker rooms are so much different, and what they have available. And if somebody gets injured uh, in a game, it's just a, a different animal nowadays. Well, yeah, and you, you look at some of the you know, the tragedies that have occurred o over the years, and guys who got seriously injured. We did, we had some injuries. We didn't have face masks. We didn't have mouth guards. We didn't have shield. We had nothing like that. And so, there was a little more respect, I think, in how you handled your stick and where you. If you wanted to hurt somebody, you certainly could with a stick. But uh, nowadays, it's the, the the velocity of the pucks, the equipment, the you know, the manufacturing of the sticks that are all custom made to what exactly what the player wants. We didn't have that. We had a piece of wood, and sometimes it was too whippy; you couldn't use it. And so we would, you know, try maybe find two or three out of a dozen that were were suitable for a game. And I remember going to, and, and Doug, I remember when with, being with Minnesota, we went to Pittsburgh to play one time, and there was an air traffic controller strike. strike. And Stan Whalen, who was our one of our guys there, forgot to pack our sticks. Oh, <laughs> so we, we got there, we had so we had to borrow the. Uh, we had to borrow the six from the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, and they were giving us all their old stuff. We didn't get any new stuff from them. And guys, if you're a right-handed shot, and all of a sudden the curve's going the other way, but the the shaft was good. We would heat them up and then bend the the uh, shaft, bend the blade underneath the, the door frame, trying yep. to get it to the, the water. I mean, that's that's what we did. And even in the early '70s, when 
uh, Frank Woodbury was the uh, uh, the chief uh, uh, official in the National Hockey League in charge of all the referees. He would come in and he would check the, the curvature of the stick and make sure, it, and then he would stamp it with the big green stamp approved by the National Hockey League for playoff uh, competition. And as soon as he left, we would just heat him up again and send him a little bit. <laughs> well, we got caught, but we never got caught. It, that's interesting. It leads into a story um, at uh, Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub. I visited there on a couple occasions and always look forward to it when I have time when I'm in the cities to, to stop in in hopes that I'll catch you there. There is a letter that I remember seeing uh, framed and hung on a wall there. It talked about uh, what would happen to uh, the North Star players if they were caught intentionally breaking one of their sticks because they cost about $2 and 50 cents at the time. And it, it was that from one of the, I think it was the general manager. Was it uh, either Jack Gordon or Ren Blair? Or did that come from Walter Bush, the owner? Yeah, I think, well, Walter was a president, one of the owners here, but I think, it was, I think that letter actually came from uh, Ren Blair and it was a $10 fine if you were caught breaking a stick intentionally or giving it away. So we had to make sure that we do that. I mean, it was a little bit tighter dollar wise in those days than it is today. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you take a look back at uh, uh, now you've got uh, kids playing the game and using $300 sticks. I've got uh, nephews uh, whose kids are out there playing. I'm just looking, going, how can you afford to have a $300 stick? So, Yeah, and I agree. I mean, but uh, we were very careful. Even when I was playing junior back in my hometown, junior B, uh, we didn't have money to buy brand new sticks. We would take little those little packs and we'd actually put the tack through to hold the stick together. You couldn't take a slap tack, it's gonna break. So uh, we're, we were very careful. It's interesting too, Doug, is that, you know, when, when I came up, uh, my third year of, of junior eligibility, I, I was with the Blackhawk organization and I made the first all-star team in the OHA, which is now the OHL. And my signing bonus with Chicago in those days was $500 with a $10,000 uh, uh, pay, uh, uh, pay period for the for the year, and I remember going out in Oakland with Stan Makita, and a couple of days later he said, "Well, how'd you do in your contract?" And I said, "Well, Mister, you know, uh, they Tommy Ivan, Mister Ivan didn't want us to say anything because, uh, and he said, you know, Stan said, well, help tell us because it helps us in our negotiations. So I told him what I got, and he says, ten thousand dollars. I said, yeah. He said, are you happy with that? I said, yeah, of course I'm happy with that. $10,000 from a little kid from Fort Erie, Ontario in the National Hockey League. He said, that's the minimum. But we didn't have we didn't have agents in those days, so how do we know that? But it was, you know, in, in all the years I played, in 11 years in the NHL, I was very fortunate to play with some, with and against some of the greatest players in the game today. And, uh, uh, you know, it was never about money. It was never about money and what you're going to make. It's just the fact that you get a chance to play in the National Hockey League. That's awesome. Do you still um, stay in contact with any of the uh, players, the old North Star players or staff that are still around? Uh, guys like Caesar, Lou Nanny, Dennis Hextall, maybe Al Shaver, who was my yeah. idol uh, when I was growing up? Yeah, I talk to Al every about once a month. I give him a call. He's living on, on Vancouver Island, a place called Qualicum Beach. And he just moved into a senior high rise uh, out there. He loves it out there. His wife passed away, Shirley passed away. Uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, he was a wonderful guy. He's 94 years old. Wow. He sounds good. 
follows the game. He watches. I mean, he's he said he's lost without having any hockey on TV right now. So it's uh, really difficult. But of course, as you know, also Doug in our building here at the XL Energy Center, which to me is still one of the best hockey arenas in the, in the country, even though it's 20 years old. It's it's a beautiful uh, facility. It's the Al Shaver Press Box, and so his name is uh, is up there. And I've got pictures of Al here in my club. I've got. Over 500 items of memorabilia that uh, hang in, in my uh, in my, on my walls, the door, my walls, and the ceiling, and everything else. So it's it's, it's pretty fun. But I do uh, associate with so I see Louis quite a bit. We talk, uh, uh, you know. And I've, I've heard from Darren Sexall, but Barry Gibbs and I, and Gibby and I were roommates for a number of years with the North Stars. So I keep in touch with him. I see Caesar once in a while. But there's a, quite a few players who have made their home here, also in the Twin City area or in Minnesota that we get together as an alumni group. That's great. It's funny, I was out visiting a rink in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is uh, owned by the nephew of Richard Zamboni, who's the president of our company. And I walked into the lobby and there is a picture of Dennis Hextall in the Red Wings uniform. And he had just been out there doing a hockey camp. Now this was a couple of years ago. Um, but it was funny. It brought back a lot of memories. Uh, some fisticuffs between him and Keith Magnuson and Dave Schultz of the Broad Street Bullies way back in the day. Yeah, well, yeah. There's some there's some great battles on the ice. And of course, when you don't have the helmets and you you know the crowd really the frenzy of the crowd and the glass, if you remember too, was along the boards was very short. So the people yep. that actually stand up and holler and scream at you and uh, and certainly that. And of course, Dennis Hextall. He was great with a stick. He loved to jab the guys with a stick. And uh, so there's a lot of situations where those bench clearing brawls would take place. And, and they were fun. You know, you don't want to get beat up, but they were, they were still fun to, uh, to be a part of. My father used to uh, get um, taken advantage of, I think, uh, with some practical jokes by some of the players. Uh, J.P. Parisi, whose son Zach is now a member of the Minnesota Wild, uh, did you ever get caught up in the hijinks, either my father taking advantage of you or uh, JP and the other guys uh, uh, looking after you as well? He certainly did a few times during the course of the time your dad was here. And he was, he was a great guy. He loved the game. He loved being around the players. And he was always a fun guy to be with, to, you know, to have him in the, in the crowd. But he would take that powdered paint. The, the, the first line and the blue line, and he would put it in my gloves when I wasn't around. Of course, I'd go on the ice for practice or whatever, and of course, you're perspiring now that powder is mixing with the perspiration, and I take my gloves off, and my hands are blue and they're red. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my, I, I remember fondly my dad telling me, and JP, who is, uh, I believe, French Canadian. Uh, with his yeah. accent, uh, was not very kind with a few of his words. And uh, they, they did, I think, get my dad back when he had a wool pinstripe suit and they baby powdered the suit. And uh, I don't know if that was the start of it that got him going or whatnot, but he always loved to, to play a, a few jokes on the guys. No, there were jokes all the time going on, believe me. And they were, they were certainly not malicious, but they were, they were funny. Doc Rose was our trainer for a number of years, and he was our, our equipment guy, and he became medical, the medical guy there. But I remember one time he went down to a, a local clothing store, and he bought a, a, a green blazer. And he told the guy in there, do not sell any other player a green blazer like this. I don't want this to be a team. It's not a team blazer. It's my own. And the guy, oh, don't worry. Well... <laughs> Well, 
he had to get it altered before by Larry Slater, Charlie Burns, who was our was our, our player. He became a coach of ours also. He, he when he was coaching, he uh, he went into the, the clothing store and the guy said, "Oh, I just got the Doc Rose's uh, blazer back here." And Charlie said, "Well, I'll take it to the rink for him." No, no problem. Oh, the guy said, "That's great." So he gets there and Charlie comes to me and because he knew that I'd go along with it, and he said, "I he told me what happened. I always had Doc's." green jacket. I said, oh, okay. So I'm in the training room getting treatment from Doc, and pretty soon here comes Charlie walks, and he's wearing this green blazer. And I said, hey, Charlie, nice, nice. Is that a new jacket? He says, yeah, it's brand new. And uh, he said, first time I've ever had it on, which is all true. And Doc looked up. He turned the, the color of ketchup. He was so... And he, he's swearing, and where'd you get that? Charlie said, well, I got it at the clothing store. And uh, he said, and he was livid about the guy. And he got so mad. And we just kept, you know, riding him, right? Well, you guys, you guys go out to dinner together. There's a lot of things you can do now. They both got green jackets. And finally, he got so mad, he ran out and he got a the, the powder bag. And he started hitting the green jacket, the dark green jacket with his powder bag, turned it white. And then he goes and gets the cotton bat and he starts rubbing it. Now you got all this cotton bat all over it. <laughs> so we're just laughing and Doc thinks he's done a, a great thing and Charlie goes out and comes back and he had it in the bag with the uh, the name of the clothing store on there and said by the way this is your green jacket I picked it up today <laughs> <laughs> that's that's <laughs> awesome yeah. Bloomington's changed dramatically since the days uh, when the Met Center used to be there which is now an Ikea store and uh, the Met Stadium, which is now the mall from uh, Mall of America. I refer to it as the Mall of Heck. But um, what was your favorite haunt on the strip in the day if you ever did decide to go out and have a barley pop? Well, we did that just about every day. Uh, after practice, we would go up at Eddie Webster's. Eddie Webster's right there, in the, uh, not far from the Met Center, right across the Cedar Avenue. And we would go there. It was a peanut bar. And you, we wouldn't relax. Nobody would bother us. And and uh, we would sit there for hours on end sometimes, uh, just uh, getting ready for the, the next day's events. But that was probably our, our favorite hangout for all the players. We'd go bowling once in a while, a uh, bowling alley and, and, and uh, Bloomington. But for the most part, we always met over at the uh, at Eddie Webster's. And that was near the Decathlon Club where they used to give out the Hobie Baker Award, if I remember correctly, and one of the yeah, former Zambo. When they uh, didn't they when they took down Andy Webster's didn't they isn't that where the decathlon club went? Yeah, that could be, could be. It's been a long time. I've been gone out of Minnesota for 33 years now, and it's hard for me to uh, even recognize things when I go back there. Well, I agree. You own and operate uh, Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub. Could you please tell us a bit about it and whether you serve that Wisconsin delicacy of cheese curds? Of course, we have cheese curds. How <laughs> could you not? But we also have the we have a lot of friends, uh, you know, poutine, which is one of our big sellers here too. It's a uh, it's a uh, a beef gravy with uh, uh, mozzarella and melted cheese on top of French fries, and it's a uh, it's a very popular staple here in this in this building. But I've had this this, this is my twenty first year in business. And just go to TomReach.com and you can see where our, our place is. We seat about three hundred people. 
it's a it's kind of a hangout. We're only two two blocks from the XL Energy Center where there's so many events and hockey games. Well, I can vouch for it. I've been there. It's a great place. It's got a great vibe, great atmosphere, and uh, people uh, always have the opportunity to uh, see you and talk to a North Star legend. Um, yeah, I'm here quite. I try and be here every day, and you know we get. Even during the course of the season, we'll get a lot of the uh, general managers and scouts and uh, media people coming here. Uh, prior to the, the game the next night, they'll come in for dinner. And, and uh, we got 46 TVs in here, so we can pretty well put any event on TV that's, that's showing uh, for our, our you know, customers coming in. Great. You uh, mentioned that you grew up in Fort Erie. And uh, I was just wondering if you knew, um, because it's not a very large group of uh, people from Fort Erie that have made it to the NHL. Um, do you know what Fort Erie player played in the most NHL games? Is it Mike Lawler? No, no. You're number two on the list. Randy Burridge um, oh, played Randy in se- 706 yeah. I, games. Yeah. yeah, I see Randy every once in a while. He scouts. He's a scout, I believe, now for the uh, Nashville uh, Predators. But he's okay. after me. You know, he's quite a bit younger than I am, so uh, uh, I didn't really know him growing up when I was there. I left I left uh, Fort Erie in 1976 to move to Minnesota. It was interesting for me to see that. You had 701 in NHL games, regular season games, and he had 706. And he just had a slight lead on you for uh, scoring goals where he, he almost hit 200 and um, he almost hit 20. But you were you, you were the, the solid defense guy that oh, – Hold on. How many goals do you get in the NHL? You know, I, I kill, I'm still searching for that first one, and because of my size and uh, age and weight, I, I don't think I'm going to quite cut it nowadays. But uh, again, um, I would have I trade just about everything I have in my life for uh, the one goal that you scored against Ken Dryden. Um, that that was still that's etched in my memory as a as a dream come true. That's the highlight uh, of my career. Uh, Favorite food, Tom, while you're on the road? Uh, solid or liquid? <laughs> <laughs> either or, either or. I like barley. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, well, we we uh, many times we would go to like a Japanese steakhouse. Okay. Uh, and we we wouldn't order one meal; we'd order two. I mean, we we consumed a lot of food uh, because of you know the activities that we had. And it's it's interesting too, Doug, because I can remember when Stan Whaler was our our medical guy, and uh, day of you know day before a game even, okay, can I get an orange or something? Because you know we can't have an orange for the for the games. That's all. Now these players in all the cities, they've got their practice rings. They have chefs after practice. They get a selection of food what they want. They get on the aircraft and they get all this food. <laughs> then we can we. Uh, you know, they cut the oranges up, and that's what we would have in between periods. That that was it. And nothing after the game. There's never food now. These guys, it's it's the NHL, what they call the No Hungry League. Now these guys <laughs> eat, eat constantly after games, but they're they're, built, they're burning all that you know the energy they expel nowadays. I mean, the speed of the game and, and uh, the the ability that these these guys have and what they can do is is so much greater than when we were we were growing. We did just didn't have the mechanics. We didn't have the you know the facilities they have nowadays. And it's great. For, it's great for it's, it's fun to watch, and it's fun to watch like you know playing with JP for so many years, and then watching Zach grow up and you know, what he's brought to the table. JP was a totally different player than 
than uh, Zach. Zach is not a he's not a, a high end scoring guy. He's a guy that is successful because he works so hard, and he just he's relentless. He does not let up, and that's where he you know that's where he is uh, certainly the most effective within three feet of that uh, that blue paint area of the goaltender. JP was more of a corner guy along the boards and, and a little more physical. Yeah, I used to have a sweatshirt uh, that had his caricature and it said Jeep. And I had that for, I don't know how long the thing had so many holes in it when my mom finally threw it away. But uh, yeah, Jeep was known uh, for being a corner guy. And I think he played with Goldie, uh, Bill Goldsworthy and, I fed him the puck, and Goldie was the prolific scorer, and Hextall may be centering that line for a while. Yeah, Drewen was on that line also uh, one time. And, you know, a funny story with J.P. I mean, J.P. and Murray Oliver and Lou Nanny and myself, we went to Vietnam in the early 70s on the USO tour, and J.P. was terrified going over there. And, of course, we threw in helicopters with no doors on and machine gunners shooting in the trees as we're, we're flying. And I'm I'm looking down, we're 5,000 feet in the air, and I'm going, oh, boy, this is, <laughs> isn't this fun? We were there for uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a period of time. And JP was always fun to uh, pull pranks on. And I can remember we had one game at the Bayshore Hotel. or We stayed at the Bayshore in uh, Vancouver, playing Canucks out there, and they had uh, uh, electric blankets. <laughs> so I told Bobby, who was his roommate, I said, I'm going to switch the controls. So when he come in and turn them both up to high, and he turns his down, yours will come down, but his will stay, his will stay hot. And he, JP, or JP, I guess during the course of the evening, was just fanning the sheets. He couldn't get the heat down. He kept turning the dial down, but it wouldn't stop. And he, just, you know, he didn't know until the next day what was going on. That's awesome. I, I, this is a throw out to a, a friend of mine, uh, Jim Brown, who's a goalie fanatic. Um, with Gump Worsley, you got to play a little bit with him, and I've actually got some old footage that uh, I got from uh, Al Shaver's son, a video uh, of Gump, where he had to actually reach his arm up to get it onto the crossbar. Uh, what would be your favorite Gump Worsley story? Because I know he was afraid of flying. Oh, terrible. I, I flew with him uh, one time. There were two first-class seats, and Ren Blair came back and said, hey, I've got you guys sit up in front here. So I sat beside him, and he would have a hanky. And he sat on the window, and I sat in the aisle. And he, whenever we had a little bit of a you know, uh, motion in the air or the, puck was, uh, the plane was bouncing a little bit, he would just get terrified. By the end of the flight, every flight, that hanky could squeeze it, and the water would just pour out of it. He just hated flying. And, uh, you know, he's what a great goaltender. I mean, he, he wasn't a big guy. Uh, there's a reason they call him Gump, and he was a, a terrific guy, guy to be around, fun guy to be around. And uh, uh, But, he, you know, in my mind, certainly a Hall of Famer and uh, had, had some great careers, especially with Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, he, he was an interesting character. I can remember back in the days when the newspaper sports section was orange uh, on Sundays so that you could easily find it. And the, I think it was a Saturday game where he'd got hit in the head. And he was the last goalie to play without a mask. And um, they they hauled him off. <clears throat> and um, I, he had a story about uh, how if he put his thumb up that his wife knew that he was okay. Um, but hey. what, what a great guy and a character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when he, whenever he went down, he always went down on his back with his arms extended and his legs extended. 
and he would he would, he would tell uh, his his wife he's you know if I if I move my left foot I'm I'm okay if I move my right foot I'm not okay <laughs> if I move either of my feet I'm dead. <laughs> Tom, I could talk with you forever, um, and I know you know how long I can jabber on, but I, I do want to ask a, a last question or two for you. What led you to get into your broadcasting career uh, with the uh, Minnesota North Stars at the time and the Minnesota Wild now? Well, you know, I, when I went to, I went to Sable in 1970, I became allergic to my hockey equipment. I couldn't wear it anymore, and we tried different things over three years. To I had no skin from my neck to my waist basically during the hockey season and it was painful and finally the doctors uh that's going to marshall wisconsin to a doctor william shore over there he said we can't we can't give any more steroids we can't give any more cortisone there's nothing we can you know you have to retire otherwise you'll be dead by the time you're 40. i said well that's a pretty good option so i quit and uh it was right when uh, wcco had the rights to the north stars and it was going over to kstp to Mr. Hubbard's station, uh, Stan Hubbard, and Walter Bush, who was the guy who really brought hockey to Minnesota, NHL hockey to Minnesota, came to me and said, would you be interested in doing some color with Al Shaver on radio? And I had nothing else going. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to lose my career because of what happened. I wasn't making a lot of money. And I said, yeah, yeah I'll give it a try. So I did that. And I worked with Al for a couple of years. And then uh, <clears throat> he came back to me and said, would you consider doing television with Bob Kurtz, who I still do the games with today in radio. And I said, oh boy, because I was a, I couldn't talk in front of people when I was a kid growing up at school and so on. I was terrified. And uh, I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And I gave it a shot. And I, I was back in 1978. I started on radio in 1980 on TV. And I've, I've done, you know, uh, NCAA. I did Michigan State for a, year, a couple of years with Bob Kurtz. I've I've done the high school hockey tournaments here in Minnesota, which are huge. I've done the North Stars uh, for a number of years. And I did the Minnesota Gophers for a long time on TV with Franklin Zappa. So I've done quite a bit over the years and still enjoy it. I still enjoy going to the games. A lot of downtime is not really big on, but uh, once the game starts, it's always fun. That's interesting that uh, you mentioned Stanley Hubbard. Uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, working with him recently, Stanley Three is down in Albuquerque. Uh, he right. owns the the Reels Channel, and he also bought an ice rink down there uh, that is rather <laughs> unique in that you can lift the gates up uh, between the two rinks and have a great big loop. And he just bought a new Zamboni machine uh, from me, oh. so it, it's it's been a treat to go back and um, revisit because I went to hockey camps, the North Star hockey camps. 100 years ago when I was a kid, uh, and he was partaking in those as well. Well, you mentioned the Stanley Jr. being down in Albuquerque. You know, when I first came to Minnesota back in 1969, uh, in the trade that brought me here, we had a practice one time, and there's a gentleman sitting behind our bench at practice with a young boy. And uh, there's some other kids in the, in, the, in the group as well, and some of the guys are going off, and they're giving their sticks. So that, those days, we didn't get fined for giving the stick away, but uh, some of the guys gave their stick to some of the kids, and this little guy didn't have a stick. So I went up in the dressing room, and I got a stick, and I brought it back down, and I gave it to him. I had no idea it was Mr. Hubbard's son, who is Stan, who you talked about just a few moments ago, and gave him the stick. And uh, Mr. Hubbard has never forgotten that. Even even today, if he sees me, he'll, he'll mention that. And uh, they're a great family here in, in Minnesota, and they really have supported 
so many different uh, organizations here, not just in sports, but in all organizations. A great family. I, I'm blessed to to have met them, and when I was down in Albuquerque in October uh, for the first junior game for the New Mexico Wolves, uh, Stanley too was there. And I got to meet him and his wife, and they had brought John Masich down, uh, who we're hoping oh. to get on a future podcast, who's a hockey legend out of Eveleth, Minnesota. And yeah. uh, j- just as nice as can be. And it, w- it was interesting because it goes into stories about my dad uh, servicing Walter Bush's boat and Mr. Hubbard's boat uh, on the St. Croix. And uh, again, I could talk forever about that stuff, but I've got one last question. Um, is there a funniest on-air bleeper, blooper, or blip that uh, you could share with us? Oh boy, you know I I'm pretty careful when I'm on the air, especially in today's world. I don't think there's anything that really uh, comes to mind uh, that uh, I I screwed up on on the air. I think for the most part it's been pretty good. And Bob Kirsch and I have been together for so long, so. We're pretty comfortable in our own skin doing our stuff together. We seem to have a good rapport, and I think that people enjoy it. And what I like about the radio side of it, too, Doug, is that, you know, we're we're very honest. If, it, we, if the team's not playing well, we'll just say, you know, this is the off night for the guys. They're, they're, they're certain players not playing well. You never want to ridicule a player or the team, but you sometimes have to give them perspective that this is just an off night for them, and or else he made a bad decision with a puck and, when he maybe should have done this or something a little bit different. But I think for the most part, I don't think there's anything that, that uh, is memorable that would stand out in my mind. Well, it's always fun for me with the technology that's available today and uh, subscriptions to satellite radio. When uh, when I was driving to work, now my, my walk to or commute to work is a walk down a hallway uh, while things are going on that they are today in the world. Uh, I would always search out the wild, even though I'm a Ducks fan, and uh, listen for you because uh, it brought back memories of uh, watching you play hockey uh, and good times that I had uh, seeing you play and knowing uh, my dad was around at the Met Center. So I, I want to thank you for your time today, Tom, and I'm hoping that uh, we could do this again because I've got a lot more questions uh, for you that we didn't get to, um, but I, I really appreciate this. Uh, you've taken your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Doug. Please follow Zamboni Company on all social media platforms for more information. And if you have a question for an expert or an idea for a future episode, email your questions to info at Zamboni.com. Visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast for more episodes or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you a nice day.